volunteers to build beautiful, active communities in Sullivan County for over 20 years. On Facebook, Instagram, and at SullivanRenaissance.org. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Tonight, once again, it's Wednesday. What we do on Wednesday is we find out the latest in jobs in the economy around the listening area, around the country, around the world. It's Work Shift Live with James B. Huntington coming up in the second half of the program. But first, it's the other thing we do every Wednesday. We check in with Leah Mayo of The River Reporter for our weekly news roundup. Hello, Liam. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me back. I know that the county passed a resolution uh, last week, and this is about helping people who are at risk of losing their homes to foreclosure. I know that the that people in... <laughs> People in the county and in the greater region are really looking at housing issues, so it's good to to hear that steps are actually being taken. Um, so, what what actually was this resolution, and, and what does it do for the housing issue? Yeah, uh, this resolution only applies to people who are getting their homes foreclosed uh, by the county for non-payment of taxes, and it gives them until November one to redeem their properties. Um, I believe the redemption date either had already passed or was soon to pass in advance of the real property tax auction, where those foreclosed homes would be auctioned off. So the auction gets pushed back to November 16 and 17, and people have until November 1 to redeem their properties. And this is something where the treasurer's office has been following it for a couple of years. I believe there have been many, many, or a number of pushbacks of the date for people to uh, redeem their homes. And that's been because of the pandemic, because there's been a lot of uh, state aid offered to people to help them pay off their taxes and keep their homes, as well as a lot of confusion in like what taxes are owed and when taxes are owed and who is owed those taxes. Um, so the treasurer's office has pushed stuff back before, but it was reluctant to sort of keep doing so. So this was a time where the legislature said, we really think this is the right thing to do to give people one last chance, um, e- even though it could potentially um like, they understand that you do eventually need to foreclose on homes in certain circumstances, but this is not a circumstance where they felt like they could do that. Yeah. This is the new last chance deadline. The new last so chance. So it's not, it's, it's not out of the question that there could be another one after that, just because there have been so many, but... But the county doesn't want anybody thinking that. It's like, okay, this is it. Uh, six no. six more weeks, essentially, is what they've given them here. Yeah. Six weeks, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, and then there's the, the Bar Veloce situation in Narrowsburg. Uh, and I, I, people have, I've heard that people are talking about this bar. I don't fully understand the situation. That's why I turn to you, Liam Mayo, the River Reporter. What's up with Bar Veloce in Narrowsburg? Right. 
Um, the historical context of the situation is Barvaloche is a New York-based wine and cheese bar that um, was looking to open a location in Narrowsburg. And due to various disputes about um, the building process for it, that opening has been delayed, um, including a lawsuit about like the some determinations from the Town Zoning Board of Appeals. Uh, currently, it looks like that lawsuit is, has died down, although there's, I think, the chance for an appeal. But the Barvaloche location may open sometime later in the fall. Um, but sort of while that delay has been going on, the owner of the Barvaloche, Frederick Toomey, was kind of open to doing other opportunities in town. So is working with the Narrowsburg Inn, which is sort of a historic location right at the corner of Bridge Street and Kirk's Road in downtown Narrowsburg. And it's been working with that location to open a Japanese uh, temaki place, which is like a different form of sushi or like a Japanese hand roll place. Huh. Yeah, I know. I know that so. corner. That's where the... That's where there's a there's a sign up there trying to trying to make the case that uh, the current president uh, stole the election, not the previous president that we all watched in real time attempt to remain in office against the will of the American people. I I see that sign every time I go by. Yes. Well, you won't have to see it anymore because uh, as yeah, as part of this whole thing, the sign has gone down. The sign went down last Tuesday. And as. I was uh, sort of trying to find out more about it. The owner of the Barbaloche, who's working with this, said that uh, the owner of the sign sort of volunteered taking it down so they had more space to put picnic tables out in front of the inn. I imagine there were also some uh, ideological considerations to that. There was some chatter on social media uh, before the sign went down about how, oh, they're opening a new restaurant there, but if that sign stays up, I don't know if I can support that. Um, so, so having the sign be down. This is an interesting story because, I mean, this is this is like a, a, a nuts and bolts thing on the financial and business end. I mean, there's always like an issue of what, what building will people be in and, and what's the status and what's the zoning and all the regulations and all that. There's like a nuts and bolts business side. But then there's also like a politics side of it and politics playing out in a small town. And it seems, if I'm understanding the story correctly, that um, in, in this case uh, – Small town business interests have uh, outweighed uh, small town conspiracy theorists. That is a very good way of putting it. Yes. All right. Well, there you go. That's moving forward in America, right here in Narrowsburg, right, <laughs> right on the river. Um, we we've been talking a lot, especially since the pandemic, about kids in schools, and and the pandemic revealed a lot of inequality, uh, and in terms of and accessibility for people based on income, also people living in rural areas. And I know you've got a story about schools, um, uh, uh and and tablets, and this is some of the things that they would have been using during the pandemic. So what's this story about? Yeah, this is just sort of a retrospective on how schools use tablets and other devices during the pandemic. And the summary of it is 
a lot of schools did. A lot of schools got state funding or otherwise funding to support giving students tablets or Chromebooks or other small devices. Um, and they also made sure to try and make sure that people had connectivity to use those tablets. Um, Sullivan Boses apparently ran a wireless access bus to help people get connected. Um, in Liberty, there were hotspots funded and installed uh, based on people's needs. Um, but sort of one of the interesting things going forward is schools have kept using these tablets. Uh, they were sort of brought into place because um, the pandemic meant you needed to use them if you were to get any education at all, but schools have kept using them because, well, now they have them. And also there is just a lot that they can do now that they couldn't do before when they didn't have them. So it's one of the, one of the silver linings of a very dark and cloudy period is that uh, some of the techniques we use to survive the pandemic are helping us thrive in a world that is hopefully moving past the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is one of those changes for the better. And, you know, at the time when you're in it, it's like the most extreme takes are what get the attention. Uh, I remember at one point then Governor Cuomo saying, like, hey, maybe all schools should just be virtual now. And people people freaked over that. And teachers said, no, he, that's not going to work. And so many kids have been left behind. But in the midst of this was there's some things that were introduced that the use of it can still go on. And, and we've seen that in so many aspects uh, of the pandemic, uh, in so many different walks of life, not just uh, education, that there's changes that organizations and individuals had to make to deal and uh some some of those changes are worth keeping around. Absolutely. And just sort of speaking from personal experience for a sec, I was homeschooled and did all of my education virtually through up until college. So I, I know that it is possible to have a school that is done entirely virtually. But I also know that there are like uh, pros to that and there are cons to that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing to do to put all schools online. But it is absolutely a useful technique to have in um, educators' pockets. And it's a big leap forward uh, for such a rural area where maybe schools aren't typically on the cutting edge of technology, uh, but technology particularly helps in a rural area. And again, it's similar. I just keep, uh, I see the similarities between this story and things like just the broadband effort that both on the Northeast Pennsylvania side of the river and the New York side of the river in our listening area, everybody knew there was a broadband and connectivity issue. But once the pandemic hit, that's when, you know, work doubled down and started really moving on, on both sides of the river. Absolutely. All right. Well, Liam, thank you so much for chatting with me and uh, uh, and being here with us once again on a Wednesday. And you will be back with us uh, on the weekend with uh, headlines uh, that people hear on Radio Catskill. And uh, you'll be back with us uh, next week and we'll do this roundup all over again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Liam. This is a local edition. When we come back, it's Work Shift Live with James B. Huntington. This is Radio Catskill. Let's begin with what you do. 
raising awareness, putting pressure on leadership, do you feel that has made a difference? Also, what about masks? Sabrina Artel asks the questions that need to be asked and has the conversations you need to hear. Trailer Talk on Radio Catskill, Wednesday night at 7. What does this mean for our community during a pandemic? That's a great question because we've never before experienced a pandemic. Hello, my name is John Gordon, and I host a music show right here on WJFF called Ramble Tamble. It airs every Thursday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. I love music, and I play all kinds of different music. That's Ramble Tamble, Thursday night, 7 to 9, right here on WJFF. Welcome back to the local edition right now. It's time to do what we do on Wednesday evenings. We find out the latest on jobs and the economy around the listening area around the world. And for that, we turn to James B. Huntington for another edition of Work Shift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Working nine to five. What a way to make living Getting by. So, James, I, I enjoy talking to you on air uh, every Wednesday, and occasionally uh, we talk off air about uh, some similar topics. And I remember bringing up to you fairly recently the issue of uh, fast food, that just anecdotally I've been noticing it seems like way more people are going to fast food restaurants, that this might be one of those changes uh, that occurred after the pandemic that have stuck with us. I was curious what's actually going on there. I remember you mentioned to me, um, the because I said there's such a long line to the drive-thru, and I remember you said something about, you know, you, uh, there was a time you'd go in, uh, you could get served quicker at the counter than at the drive-thru. And I was saying it's been a long time uh, since I've seen that, so I don't even try to go indoors. And then shortly after that, uh, we've, we found some uh, reporting on this whole issue of fast food and the drive-thrus. What do you have? Yes, absolutely. This turned up in Slate, and it's called Take Your Fries and Leave. And it's about <laughs> a stunning change that has happened in the past few years. Just before the pandemic, it was about even for most fast food places between what was eaten inside and what was drive-through and delivery for those who offer that. Now it's about 80% choosing drive-through and delivery when available. That's a, a huge number. So there have been some reactions by fast food chains. I'm looking at a Taco Bell of sorts. It looks like a restaurant up in the air, and below it are three drive throughs and there's no place for customers to go in. That's a real change. They're saying that, sure, it saves real estate and labor, but mostly it's a response to customer preference. So people are wanting to drive through as quickly as possible. It's now has since got to the point where most places have two separate drive-through lanes. Some are getting three and even more. We're seeing the same kind of thing from Chipotle that has what they call digital kitchens where you can drive through, but customers aren't even allowed inside which is a strange wow. sort of thing. Yeah, it's a it's, this this is a shift. And then there's also even for places that do have a, a, an an inside uh there's increasing use of uh you know not not even interacting with people just uh, going up to like a kiosk and putting your order in. 
Well, it's like that now. The last half dozen or so times I've been to McDonald's, I only go maybe once a month or something, I've had a choice between an automated kiosk and a person. There's only one person taking orders instead of two or three or four or whatever it used to be. But people are mostly using the kiosks, and, of course, they're all set up with ways that people can order on their phones before they even get to the store. So that's savings on employees and money, and it also fits today's mentality and so many customers would really prefer to go that way and deal with people as little as possible. Just walk into the store and see if their number has been called yet and announce yourself if it has, otherwise wait. So, yeah, these are real changes, but they are they are happening right now. So Starbucks, it's, you might think of Starbucks as a place where people like to sit down and drink coffee, but even there, way over 50% on people who take it out or otherwise. So they're finding ways of incorporating this into the footprints and the design of the physical restaurants. So be careful if you count on a fast food place being able to to Let seat you, you. Sit down yeah. and eat there you know the this this isn't a story about um robots and ai specifically but it seems like a similar shift as when you and i talk about um automation and, and robots entering the workplace this almost seems like this dovetails with those types of changes yes it's related certainly it's they can make it more and more automated and you won't even know. Well, you, you don't really know now if a human makes your food, but it seems like probably they do because you're looking back into a kitchen right. with people preparing things. Sometimes you can see them making your order, but now you won't even have customers seeing the food thing. So it will be an easier entree into getting robots to do those jobs. Um, you know, and we're talking about people going up to, to kiosks and, and whatever and, and having the option to not interact with a person. And that's like these you know self-checkout lines at some stores, especially bigger chain stores, at least in our areas where I typically uh, see that. What's What's been happening with these uh, self-checkout lines? Are they, are they going to be sticking around? Oh, yes. They will be sticking around and then some. Statistics there are 18% using them or 18% of stores had them in 2018 of of supermarkets as such, and now it's 96%. There are, they cost between fourteen dollars and $40,000. They pay for themselves quickly. Therefore, stores typically have one or two workers for every five to ten machines instead of one. That's really where the savings are. A lot of people are grouchy about them, but less than they were before. They've improved over the last several years, and now people are accepting them more and more. So look for them to go everywhere. I mean, you might well see a a full-sized Pex or Winn-Dixie or stores along those lines with only one... (laughs) counter to check things out by a person in and that having a healthy line because 
they are really it's it's in the store's interest to push people to these lines and so it sure looks like that's what's going to happen even more and more all right and going now to personal finances uh people seeking personal loans what kind of climate are they facing right now well if you have a good credit score, which this piece seems to define as 720 or higher, you're able to get three-year fixed rate loans for almost exactly what they were a year ago. A little bit more, maybe half a percent, and five-year loans have, are just or less than two-tenths of a percent higher. So what's happening is more people have been running up their credit cards and looking for a way to get a lower interest rate on that. Demand for personal loans has gone up, but the rates will probably go up somewhat, but maybe not very much when interest rates hit. And, of course, if you get people with higher credit ratings and people who pay these things off as they're supposed to, then... That will feed in and bring the rates even lower. So if you are in the market for this kind of thing, don't assume that rates will be way high because they're really not. And, and are you, are, is part of what you're saying here that, that, this, that this is a good time because if you get one of those fixed rate loans, you're hedging against increases that, that you expect to be coming? Yes, you are, and the credit card companies seem to be going higher, higher, higher on the rates for people who carry over balances, so that's a very good point. I mean, it's, it really seems like interest rates are going to go at least 2% higher, maybe more than that, so it could be just in the normal course of events, these loans will be more expensive in even just several months, so... You might as well do it now if you are going to take these steps. And it seems like they are more available. There's more money out there, and a lot of the banks and such are getting some rather good deals on money from depositors. So it's probably a better time now than it will be in three or four months, put it that way. All right. And in the last uh, five minutes here, let's let's take a look at, at the workplace and the situation for workers. Let's start with this note about missing workers. Who are the missing workers in America? Yes, well, it's known that fewer people are working now than at the beginning of the pandemic, although the unemployment rates are, are similar. What we're seeing is, except for women... Between the ages of 25 and 54, all the groups, older, younger men, are leaving the workforce, are smaller numbers of them than were before. The ages 25 to 54, it's closed a little bit, but still there are fewer men out there working in those ages significantly than there were before. So you have younger people doing things other than working. You have people 55 and older retiring more often. A lot of the times they just grab the chance to retire. So the the exception is the women who are actually more women between 25 and 54 are working now than were before the pandemic. So there you are with that.
Okay. And as you know, people, people seek employment, people seek work, entrepreneurial spirit, uh, people want to make money. Of course, other people want to make money, uh, through less than legitimate means. And when it comes to the job market, I hear that you've got two stories that are talking about the potential for job. One, one saying that job seekers may be scammed. At the same time, there's another story saying that other job seekers may be also doing something fraudulent as they seek jobs. What are these stories about? Yes, we have du- dueling spams here in the job market. Do I rather dueling scams? Yes, yes. The first thing is a relatively new way of conning people who are known to be looking for work. What they do is they offer you a job that's especially juicy and may especially be likely to involve wide-open working from home. And then they contact the so-called job candidate and get into his bank account, get information for direct deposit and such, and there are ways that they can abuse that to withdraw money out of it. And so... These people are getting burned with non-existent job offers and turning up with money being taken out of their accounts. Wow. Is there any indication how people can protect themselves from that? Well, do your usual due diligence. You may want to call them back at a number that is really connected with the company to find out, to get more insight into whether this thing is for real or not. Second, you may want to wait a bit. Just say, just hold off. You could even say the thing about there are scams out there, so I'd rather really wait till we get more established with this and I'm showing up to work before I give you my bank account information. I know it'll be a while till I get a paycheck anyway. Something like that. Mm. And they will run like bunnies if they are scammers. Otherwise, they will work it out with you somehow to do that. And then some job, uh, some some job seekers are going in for interviews, and uh, or are they being less than honest or something? Well, <laughs> some people are hiring proxies to go to interviews for them. What? <laughs> There's one that advertises and gets hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and will show you video clips of how good he looks in front of a hiring manager, and so on. So. They're hoping that people, especially for IT sort of jobs, things that are very remote, that they can get away with sending one person to an interview and then somebody else takes the job. They could, some people are combining these with phony resumes, claiming experience and such that they don't have. So they send this bogus person to the interview and he talks a great game and seems exactly like the kind of person they want to hire he gets hired and then he goes and doesn't have the skills or anything just betting that nobody will know wow that whether he was the person who actually showed up for the interview but yes yeah, so it's a that's it's a, a chance. It's a obviously it's a calculated risk, even if you're willing to be dishonest in this way. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This is like next level dishonesty of seeking a job. You can see people. Yeah, you know, maybe they fudge something in their resume, or maybe they're being outright dishonest in it. But hiring somebody, 
Oh, my goodness. Well, James, I want to thank you so much for joining us for WorkShift Live. And, hey, you know, I've got a job interview coming up next week. If I give you $300, will you go in for me? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have you back on next week for the latest in jobs and the economy in our listening area and around the world. James B. Huntington, WorkShift Live. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, listeners. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Local Edition. We'll be back tomorrow evening. We'll do it all over again. For now, uh, stay tuned. Coming up, we've got a trailer talk with Sabrina Artel. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from Jeff Bank, Sullivan County's community bank for over 100 years. Meeting banking needs with a variety of deposit and loan products. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. National Mortgage Licensing System and Registry Identification Number 405318. Jeff Bank, still banking strong. From Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And from listeners like you. WJFF Radio Catskill's annual music sale is Saturday, November 26th. The sale features records, stereo equipment, musical instruments, and CDs. But it's only possible because people like you donate vinyl LPs in good condition, working turntables, stereo equipment, and other gently used musical instruments. If you have something good you don't need anymore, donate it to the music sale. Email manager at wjffradio.org. Thanks. This is a huge moment. We are finally talking truthfully about what kind of country we want to be. I just don't think it should be political to not be racist. The climate crisis is an education crisis. Every individual can make a difference. I'm Kai Wright. Join me in that conversation each week on Notes from America, a live national show about the unfinished business of our history and how we break its grip on our future. Sunday evening at 6, live on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill.